Yeah, and look, I thought you tore up the house when he fumbled that ball that last oh. time. I'm like, man, I need to check on Coach. He almost stopped over. The dog, I don't think you understand <laughs> the anger and the look of fury that was upon my face. I pictured it. I pictured the Hulk. I pictured that green background, the basement with a silhouette through it. I was like, man. oh, man. I could have ran through this wall right here with no problem. It'd have been like the Kool-Aid man, like yeah. boom. <laughs> Left the imprint. Yeah. Hey, look, I was driving past your house, too, as he fumbled the ball. I was actually driving, and I was like, oh. I was like, man, poor Coach. I was like, me? I was, I was, oh. I was like, man, Coach Ryan was going nuts in there. Uh, oh. Ain't no problem. Was. Great. <laughs> Fall seasons with your boy Coach E, local neighborhood defensive line football coach, local neighborhood assistant basketball coach, local personal trainer, also strength and conditioning coach. Coming to y'all live from Cleveland, Ohio. On the side, I got two assistant coaches. Zen, what's going on with you, sir? What's good, man? What's good? Good, good, good. Good to hear you. Everything is all right. Other side, my other assistant coach, Byron. What's going on, Byron? Yo, yo. I must say that this is not your boy, but your favorite grown-ass man, Mr. Taboo Timmons, a.k.a. BC. Right on, right on. We got a couple of topics we're going to run through today. Zen, what's going on? So I figure since this is a new podcast, it only feels right that the people get to know the host and the star of the pod. That'll be you, Coach E. So each pod, Coach will give you a backstory about himself before we get started. So, Coach, let's start here. What's your favorite sports memory as a fan? My favorite sports memory as a fan has to be the 2016 NBA Championship of the Cleveland Cavaliers. It's a little backstory to that. So basically, uh, around that time when we made it to the finals, my sister was diagnosed with uh, stage four stomach cancer. So she was getting real ill, man. And probably about two weeks before the finals began, the doctor actually gave her about five days to live. So she was pumped. Her oldest son actually is like one of the biggest Golden State Warrior fans. So they were going back and forth and everything. And we double teamed them. She brought me in, talking about the Cavs stuff, you know, representing where you're from, where you're at and all that. You know, the young folks, they really don't care about that too much. They just go with the hottest trends and stick with it. So, you know, we sitting there talking to my nephew and everything. We going back and forth and we end up telling him, like, yeah, the Cavs going to win. My sister called it, man. She said the Cavs would win in seven games. And true enough, she ended up passing two days before the finals started. And like everybody know from now, everything else is history. The Cavs won in seven games. That victory meant so much to me on so many different levels. One, breaking the curse of the Cleveland championship. And for two, just knowing my sister called it, man, and watching it fold out the way it did, it was absolutely crazy. So that has to be my best memory as a fan. So how did you celebrate that? Oh, man, we celebrated because, of course, everybody know that Sunday, game seven, was Father's Day. The day before that was my daughter's Sweet 16 birthday party. That Friday before my daughter's Sweet 16 party was my sister's funeral. So all the family and everything was here. We ended up watching it at my house. And uh, once they won, man, we started going outside, running, screaming, causing ruckus, knocking on everybody's doors. 
neighbors hugging each other, man. It was the biggest show of emotion. Everybody just let out, man. It was it was a great, great, great time. Did you happen to make it to the parade? Oh, absolutely made it to the parade. I was not going to miss that. I actually went down there with my man B. You know, we went down mm-hmm. there, celebrated together on the corner of East 9th and Superior. Had a yes, great, sir. great seat. Excellent. Yeah, I was. that was the only thing they messed up on for me. I went to where the parade was supposed to end, and they walk up on stage. Oh, okay. They did it backwards. They had it on a hill, and they decided to put the stage on the bottom of the hill instead of the top oh, of the right. hill. <laughs> so not knowing this, you know how long that parade lasted. It took like six hours, man, more than six hours man. before the, the parade finally got there. And that was one of the hottest days in Cleveland yeah. history, too, yeah. man. To no, bathroom. <laughs> no bathroom. No bathroom. No <laughs> bathroom. Look, I'm already a dark brother. I got three shades darker after that day, man. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I sit out there, they get there, and you can't see them because they at the bottom of the hill and everybody's blocking your view. Oh, wow. man, I was so disgusted, uh, so disgusted. So in your mind, you had I, the perfect seating right there, but then yes. when you saw the stage, you're like, man, what's going on? All you had to do was just listen to the speeches then. Yeah, they had a couple of uh, big screens where it blew it up. I was like, man, I don't want to see that on – I didn't come down here to look at it on a TV screen. I could have been at home and looked at it <laughs> right. on a TV screen. It's American Jack. <laughs> oh, you know how it is. But yeah, still, that was absolutely the greatest day as a sports fan. And I grew up a Michael Jordan fan, so the Bulls was my squad. Mm-hmm. I know they was tearing the mouth out of the Cavs, but Mike winning 06 didn't feel as good as that one in Cleveland did. I can say that. Absolutely. For sure. So let's go ahead and get into this show that we got going. We got a good show ahead for you. We're going to talk some Browns. We're going to talk some college football playoffs. So sit tight and let's get it going. Here we go. As my man Kanye would say, like we always do at this time, we're going to talk about the biggest story going on in our city. That's none other than the Cleveland Browns. After a season of mostly highs and being satisfied with the progression of the team, the team had its biggest setback of the season so far. With a chance to clinch their first playoff berth in 18 years, the team blew a big opportunity by losing to the 1-13 New York Jets. Although being down their top four receivers and starting middle linebacker due to COVID-19 protocols, they still had a chance to win the game in the end. But unfortunately, they came up short. So now it comes down to week 17, all on the line. As a Browns fan, how would you rate your disappointment? Let's start with you, Coach. Ranking my disappointment on a scale of 1 to 10 is absolutely an 11 because it was no reason <laughs> whatsoever. I understand we were down the four receivers, the two off starting offensive linemen and the middle linebacker, but a 1 in 13 team, and we have a chance to clinch a playoff berth that it just can't happen. We got out coach, we got out played. Every facet of the game, I'm talking even special teams, man, they, they wanted it more than us. And it should have been the other way around, seeing what we had on the line. All right, so let's go into the game itself. Now, they had their top four receivers out. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you see coaching-wise that, that left you dissatisfied? The very point that you just made, the four receivers were out, and Baker Mayfield <laughs> threw the ball over 50 times. That cannot happen when you still have two of the best backs in the game of football right now. That cannot happen whatsoever. It should be the other way around. The two of them combined should have had 25 carries apiece, which would have been over 50 rushes this game. But I don't know what's the fans he was thinking. 
Maybe he got caught up in the moment trying to prove something, trying to boost Baker's numbers or something. That's the only thing I can think of, but that never should have happened. Nick Chubb should have had – I don't care if he would have had 25 carries for 72 yards. The run would have made them tired. That happens every Browns game. You run the ball, run the ball, get little by little, stay consistent. By the fourth quarter, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt wears down on you. The defense would have been falling off. They would have been getting yards after contact, everything, the way it should have been. No way we should have passed over 50 times that game. Okay, now on the defensive side, they didn't look too sharp for the most part, especially that linebacking core. I let I guess I could let Byron get into that that linebacking core. How he was disappointed in that. <laughs> but which one want to take it? Should I give it to you, Coach? I'll pass that to my man B. Go ahead, B. All right, man. We go on defense. Look, my son was here and he was playing the game and he got the news. I told him about the four receivers going on a COVID. He was like, "Oh no, Dad, what's going to happen now?" I laid out the same plan that Coach E knew, my mama knew. My girlfriend knew, even Santa Claus knew it. We're going to line up big, three tight ends. We got Kareem Hunt going in the flat, Nick Chubb. I say they're going to run the ball 50-plus times. Just what Coach E just said, because the past couple games, you know, they, they've been focusing in on stopping the run. Okay, well, even if you get three yards of carry, that's okay. And that's a big F on Coach Stefanski. This is the first time this season I've been severely – disappointed and i am the mayor of bakersfield i am the ceo of of baker town and fan club and, and fan bus and not even me would have had him throwing 50 times this game you got no receivers 50 times come on coach come on i thought he was just shaking us up and doing some tricks and then maybe he watched a different game because now that goes into the defense it's time for coach Stefanski to realize the defense is awful with a capital A. So what you do with that is you keep them off the field. You ground and pound the ball. This is the perfect time. He missed out on perfect opportunity to show that. You ground and pound the ball. Like Coach E said, you get them tired. But also, you keep your terrible defense off of the field because they was making Darnold look like he shouldn't even be replaced in the draft. That made him look good. And Darnold didn't even respect us. He was just head down. A linebacker come, he ran over one of them. He put him on his back. So that's what Stavansky. Now it's time for you to realize your defense is awful. And I see uh they play are awful, but still starting safety on the uh COVID list. So Sendejo and now Brian is on the COVID list. So they won't be playing. So now Stavansky, you gotta do something. It's unsure if they came down with the virus, cause putting them on the list, they don't really tell what happened to put them on the list. Yeah. So if it's just contact tracing and the guys keep coming up negative on the test, then they'll be out there come Sunday. Well, isn't that what happened with the receivers? Like the receivers, they didn't test positive. Right. They didn't get the news till Saturday when they was on the plane, actually. So it wasn't enough yeah. time for them to keep coming with negative tests in order for them to be eligible to play. So Okay. And kudos. And I'm not, I'm not going to make that even, that's an excuse. That's not an excuse because good football teams find a way to win. You know, just like what the Patriots was doing, now Belichick exposed without old Goat Brady to keep that defense or the defenses off the field or whatever and work with what he had. Man, Stefanski, come on, man. Big F. Big, big, big fat F. F minus if you can give a minus. So, Coach, you don't give him a pass for being without his four receivers as well? No, no, not at all. 
No pass given. So I got to get your take on this defense. So Byron has deemed them awful <laughs> with a capital A. Mm-hmm. <laughs> two bright spots, though. Yeah, you got two bright spots. I'm I'm assuming you talking Miles Garrett and Denzel Ward. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what can you do moving forward with this defense to, to make it somewhat salvageable for if we win this Sunday and going forward into the playoffs? What I would do scheme-wise is more movement pre-snap. You give the quarterback a, a different look. So as he looks up, coming out of the huddle, he sees one thing. And as he goes into his cadence, move around a little bit. Even though you're still in the same call, you're going to run that same play. But just give it a different look, come from a different angle. So he can think it's cover two backside, cover four front side, two deep safeties or whatever. Move the safeties around. Yo, We call it yo-yoing, so... That means the corner will be off seven yards from the receiver. Yo-yo it up. That means he'll come up to the press position. That doesn't mean he's going to press, but he can give that look. So the quarterback can either try and give a hot route to the receiver, which means changing the route of the receiver from the original play. So that means we'll be in position perfectly if they think it's jam or press coverage. We bail on the corner. Linebacker come up on the quick slant that they thought that was going to be open from the press position of the corner. Just different looks, man. You can have a whole different outcome just on different looks alone. Nobody's perfect. Everybody has brain farts every once in a while, especially when you only have two seconds with Miles Garrett coming around that corner hot on you to get that ball out. You see something, you think it's there, and it's totally not. You got to use that to your advantage, man. Switch up everything. So we talked about Stefanski get a F, F minus. What would you get a D coordinator, Joe Woods? F plus. F plus. <laughs> you get a little bit, a little bit higher. Just a okay. little bit higher. Can I, can I chime in there? Yeah, go ahead. I give him a straight one way ticket out of town. <laughs> Fired, huh? But look, I, that's unfair because I'm gonna say this. It's unfair though, because we gotta we gotta give them the the benefit of the doubt. The same one I gave Mayfield. You gotta give him the benefit of the doubt. It's the first year, and he gotta work with the talent pool. Because one thing, one constant I keep seeing is the linebackers. I think we need to definitely get some linebackers, because that middle to me just seems like it's Swiss cheese. It's just wide open, and anything goes in the middle of the field. Miles Garrett, Denzel Ward, bright spots. They get past them. Everybody else is a victim. So, linebackers. Let's start with the linebackers for me. This is why I got to chime in right here, too, because it's a little deeper than just the linebackers, man. It starts with the two defensive tackles as well, too. So, Ogunjobi and Richardson has to play better off the snap of the ball, get either more penetration or get more contact on the guard so they can't get to the second level to get to the linebackers, you know what I mean? Absolutely. So they have to hold those guards or the center up just a little bit longer in order for Mac Wilson and whoever else is playing that middle Mm -hmm. linebacker to flow to the gap that they're supposed to be in. But if those D tackles just shoot up the field and don't get no contact on the guards Mm -hmm. or center, they coming off freelance and not just like you said, Swiss cheese right there. Mm-hmm. I got a nickname for those two right there. Revolving door number one and revolving door number two because they going <laughs> straight through. It's like pure. And they ain't need, they avoiding the edge rushers. They just yeah. going straight through. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Big Ben is being sat down. The talk in the press conference, Mike Tomlin might sit more players. Mm-hmm. Thinking back, it kind of makes sense. 
because technically Pittsburgh didn't get a bye week this year because of the whole situation with the Titans catching the, the whole COVID-19 and having that outbreak. Yeah. It disrupted their whole schedule. So they didn't technically have a bye week this year. So I could see him why he would want to rest his major key players going into this game so he can have them ready and prepared for the playoffs because they're in. <laughs> right. If you don't care about position, you don't care about where you need to go. This season, home field advantage really doesn't matter. Exactly. Quiet crowds or the barely, what, small crowds of uh, 12,000 at best, if that. But how confident are you going into week 17? We got week 17 here with one of the biggest rivals, the Steelers. A part of me is happy and a part of me is not because I really wanted to earn it and really beat them full strength, not only to prove to the city, but for the team to prove it to themselves that they can really play with the big dogs. So now – it goes down a little bit, but it's still not a gimme game, though. Don't get me wrong. It's not a gimme game whatsoever. But I just wanted them at full strength so we could really pull it out the way I know we can. Yes, sir. Indeed. Let me ask this one. With the loss to the Jets, does Stefanski lose any consideration for coach of the year after this one? Uh, he might. He really might because that was his chance to clinch right there, especially against, I'm going to keep saying that, 1-13. Man, that hurt. That hurt real bad. That hurt his chances as a coach of the year, and that hurt the chances going to the playoffs because you got one and done, just like the NCAA tournament. You lose, you out, you win, you advance. So it, him winning this game and getting into the playoffs might help him back into the conversation, but he definitely took a hard hit by losing that game. Okay, let's talk about worst-case scenario. Somehow they lost to the 1-13 Jets. They could possibly lose to a Steelers team that's going to rest some of their stars. Worst-case scenario, if they don't make the playoffs, how big of a, a setback? Would it be a disappointment? Not say disappointment. Of course it'll be a disappointment. Would it be a, a failure? Would it make the season a failure? How big of a setback would it be? A minor setback. It's still going to hurt judging from where we were in the playoff race and everything like that and the kind of year we had, it's still going to be a good year. Playoffs or not, that really hurts me to say that too. I don't even want to think like that, but that's just the reality of the situation. So it'll be a big disappointment in the fans' eyes, but as an organization, you got to look past that. You can't sit here and worry about how the fans feel and everything. True enough, you can hold your head up high. You have a winning season, first-year head coach, no minicamp, no – preseason games you just got thrown into the fire man so I, I consider it a win if you look at the big picture of everything I'm with you the only thing that holds me back is 2007 the last time yeah. we won 10 games yeah you talking about 10 to 6 Derek Anderson year yeah that was my season ticket year yeah, we were 9-5 and five heading into that game against Cincinnati. Cincinnati was 5-9. and nine. We thought we had that one. It's like, okay, things are looking good. It's ready to, to rock and roll. I see the playoffs, and they choked and lost. And then they came back, and they beat the 49ers in the last week of the season to finish 10-6. and six. And it was all this hope, all this optimism. We, we had Kellen Winslow. We had Braylon Edwards. Mm-hmm. We had Jamal Lewis somehow found a little bit of that fountain of youth, had a 1,000-yard rushing. It was like, okay, I can see some things. Came back the next year. Woo, we stuck up the joint. Man, I remember, though. Man, they, they had us on prime time I don't know how many times, and we stunk up the joint every single time. <laughs> Doors blown off. Who was the coach after that? Yeah, that was Romeo. This was Romeo. 
this was Romeo. The only thing I'm I don't want history to repeat itself. I'm hoping somehow, some way, it doesn't repeat itself. I hope a Stefanski isn't isn't that type of coach where he had like a Baker rookie season. He was hot his first season, come back and, and stink up the joint the following year. Flash in the pan. Yeah, just be a flash in the pan. I'm I'm hoping. That, we got somebody we can have long-term here, hopefully at the quarterback position and also at the head coaching position. I'm hoping that some, we can have long-term and can see some some growth and hopefully some some playoff success. Yes, sir. Whoa, 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 whoa. Did I hear what I thought I heard? You said hopefully at the quarterback position? Absolutely, that's what he said. Man, you, you got to, man. Why wouldn't I? <laughs> so Baker is the guy? Hopefully. I ain't say he's the guy. I said Hopefully. He's the guy. I'm not sold on him yet. <laughs> hey, that, hey, I'll take it. I'll take it because before y'all and Stephen A. Smith it, it was murdering my boy, man. Y'all was murdering. Now I need Coach E. Oh, I still, I still shoot shots his <laughs> way if he deserves them now. I think we good there. Let's go ahead and, and jump from the pros to the college ranks. Uh, as we approach the new year, the biggest kickoff is the college football playoffs. Through all the trials, tribulations, postponements, and cancellations, somehow we made it here. Now, let's break down the matchups. In the first game, we had a battle of the Blue Bloods. This is one that I'm most excited about and most interested in. I'm sorry, my fellow Ohioans. The number one ranked 17-time national champion, Alabama Crimson Tide, will take on the number four ranked 13-time national champion, Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. Everyone seems to be quick to dismiss Notre Dame. Vegas has them as a 19-and-a-half underdog. Do you have a strategy coach for the old ball coach, Brian Kelly, that he can utilize to help him get the upset win over Nick Saban and the Tide? <laughs> well, being that is a Catholic school, a whole lot of prayer. That's what he going to need. <laughs> prayer, miracles, the act of God, something. Other than that, brother, I don't see anything happening positive on the Notre Dame side whatsoever. Why is that? It's just a different kind of football. It's a different kind of athlete the SEC has. And the Notre Dame kids, no disrespect to them, they still play hard. Always been a good program. I've just never been a fan of them. But that doesn't diminish what they can do and what they have done. But it's a different kind of athlete that goes to Alabama, man. I'm talking about from 12th grade, these kids that go to Alabama are pro prospects, man. And you don't get that at Notre Dame till about their junior, senior year in college. So you getting the top signees in signing day in high school as Alabama, at least 50 of the top 300 go to Alabama every year. At least, and probably about it's one not or two. Not that many, man. No, I did. I did embellish. I did embellish. But that's just my point, man. It's Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and whoever fall in after that. If those three don't want you, that's when they make up their decisions right there where they're going to school. Notre Dame has no chance. I'm on record saying that. So you giving Ian Book no chance against this Alabama defense. This Alabama defense has looked vulnerable. I've seen them look vulnerable against Mississippi. I've seen them look vulnerable against Florida. Hey, even for the first half of the Georgia game, Stetson Bennett looked like he might pull something off. And I would give Ian Book, as far as uh, talent-wise, he would be in the same class as a, a Stetson Bennett. Maybe not a, a Kyle Trask, but I can't even, for the life of me, I can't remember the quarterback for Mississippi, who he was that was lighting up and torching the defense. But I would at least put him in that, that class with them. I give them a shot because edge rushers doesn't exist, really. Linebacking core, we do have Dylan Moses. Secondary, we got Mr. Sertan Jr. 
who's going to be a, a first-round draft pick. Absolutely. If somehow, some way, they get a couple of stops against Bama, it could be a long day. And this comes from a their number one fan. Okay. I, I don't know. So let me, let me help ease your mind a little bit. This is how it always goes in games like this, whether it be a bowl game or the playoff game where you got two teams that are unfamiliar with each other but could be story programs, especially in this situation. First quarter is always going to be back and forth just because of the high emotions, the intensity, and the anticipation of the game, and they finally get to hit somebody else. They've been practicing for this long against each other. So that first quarter is always going to be up and down on both sides. But towards the end of the second quarter, like before halftime, probably about seven, eight minutes before halftime, the better team starts to show that they are the better team. Because you you done went through every trick play. It doesn't have to be a trick play, but a certain play that you saw that might have the chance of working. You done went through all that. You're going to eventually have to go to your bread and butter. Now, it's the, it's the fact that if you can run your bread and butter, then you're in good shape. But I don't see Notre Dame having no bread or butter to put on the table that Alabama will have any problems with. Like Ian Book may get off first quarter, hit a couple open receivers and all that, but where are you going to go after that? After that, it gets down to actual football and it's gonna be bama sec pound football and notre dame's just not built for that the only thing is like i say no pass rush really pass rush is is non-existent and you give any quarterback a competent quarterback enough time in that pocket he'll pick you apart that's what worries me and also with landon nickerson our starting center for me, all world, you know, calling out the, the blitzes, calling out coverages and getting Mac in the right spots so he doesn't get destroyed in the pocket. He's gone for the season with a knee injury. You just got another five-star kid coming in, though, to take his But spot. he a five-star kid with no experience. Typically, you give Nick Saban, like, in a normal season, it'll be like a month for him to prepare. Right. And I wouldn't sit here and worry at all. You give Nick Saban a month, ah. Uh, there's only one person I know who could give him fits, and that was Urban Meyer, and he's in the broadcasting booth. But now it's, a, it's truncated. It's like a, a winter break to get yeah. ready for Notre Dame. So it might be just anxieties, and I'm just overreacting to this, but hey. It's just the unknown, the fear of the unknown. I, I, I totally understand what you're saying, but Nick Saban get paid the big bucks for a reason, and he about to show everybody why he gets paid the big bucks. Especially on this game. Brian Kelly is no threat to anybody in the SEC. Well, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. Well, look, I spent enough time on my team. Let's go ahead and talk about y'all team. Let's get to the good stuff. <laughs> yeah. <Y'all> team. <laughs> the primetime matchup. The- uh, we have our home home state, Ohio State Buckeyes, going up against the last year's runner-up and winners of two of the last four FBS championships, the Clemson Tigers. Heading into the game, Clemson's coach, Dabo Sweeney, has appeared to be the Buckeyes' biggest troll. First, he voted O-State number 11 in the coaches' poll. Then he followed it up by saying the Buckeyes were not qualified to play in the playoffs because they haven't played enough games. Then took another jab by saying that prepping for the Buckeyes would be much easier because his coaches don't have to go through too much tape. Now, he is 3-0 against the Buckeyes, so it looks like he's starting to feel himself. Coach, will the Buckeyes be able to serve old Dabo some humble pie? First of all, let me start off with saying Dabo's a prick. I absolutely hate him. (laughs) Capital P. No, capital P-R. No. Oh, man. Oh. No, but uh, honestly, this game, just like you were saying with your Bama team, this game kind of scares me on the uh, Buckeye side because of the lack of continuity that we've been able to have with these six games. We only played six games. 
and those were spread out so far. It was kind of impossible to build any kind of team continuity and get the system down pack or just getting the rhythm as a team. Our defense is pretty suspect to the pass, and we usually turn out some good secondary players. I just don't see it this year. They trying to pump up the Sean Wade guy, but he is not an island corner. He is a nickelback. He should be playing corner on the inside. It's really? too much. Oh, yeah, he, he's not ready for the uh, island corner, man. Mm, he, okay. His best work has been in the nickel corner slot. That That's his best work. He's trying to go to the league and play on the island. I don't see if that's going to happen. They might bump him back in on the nickel side, especially because everybody runs nickel and dime in the league because it's a passing league. But it, it just worries me with that secondary. And we usually turn out at least two or three good defensive linemen or linebackers. Nobody has stepped up to take that title. Like, there's no household names on the defensive line. You can give Tough Borland, the linebacker, maybe the closest to a household name, but he's really not too good in space because he's just a run stuffer. He, he's pretty doggone good at stuffing the run, but, I mean, it's only so much running that Clemson's going to do. They're going to they gonna try and run it in the first couple quarters or first couple drives, but they're going to have to get pressure on Goldilocks, put him on his back, and they just got to set the tone somehow like that, make it a hard-smacking game. Because I'm a little nervous. Now, the offense, I'm really not too worried about the offense. The offense has been pretty good, except for the hiccup with Northwestern. I don't know what Justin Fields was on the night before or the day before. He was on some trash. Something got into his system. But I'm pretty sure they'll straighten that out. I'm just worried about that defense. If they get that defense together, it'll be a nice game. And we'll win if the defense holds them to 24 points. Yeah, Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, Goldilocks. Yes, a.k.a. Goldilocks. Only lost one game in his whole college career that's cool and that was in the national championship game last year yeah lights too bright the lights have been super bright beaming blind in your eyes and that man has showed up and played i'll even say in the the championship game last year wasn't that he choked (laughs) it wasn't like he had a bad game they just got beat lsu was just a better team yeah they just got beat (laughs) so i'm like i know he's gonna show up to play justin fields this is the second year he gets to see him last Mm -hmm. time i saw something like this was uh deshaun watson went back to back against the Alabama Crimson Tide. Second time he got us. You think uh, Justin Fields has that extra gear? He's going to show the world show the world something special. Does he have that in him? I think he does. I really think he does. He's always been an even kill player. He really doesn't get too high. He really doesn't get too low. He just always focuses on the right now, which a good quarterback always does. So I'm pretty sure he'll get everything together. He's capable of getting everything together and playing the right way. By far, this will be uh, Ohio State's toughest test. It's not their fault. No, this whole COVID thing has thrown everything out of whack. The COVID thing did, but I blame the Big Ten for this, man. No other league stepped out and did that like they did. If I'm the Big Ten and you hold yourself to prestige and all that, you got to stick to what everybody else is doing because that's giving them a competitive advantage with everything. You you have to stick with it, man. I understand the safety of the kids and all that. That that goes without saying, but... You were the only league that stepped on your pedestal and just canceled everything. For what reason? When nobody else did. Well, the doctors was telling him about myocarditis and that being a thing. And you saw what happened with the kid at for the Florida basketball team. Mm-hmm. Wound up passing out on the court. Mm-hmm. Man, you, you can't afford to have a kid mess right. around and down the football field. Oh, my God. So, so right. for, for, for a sport that you don't get paid to play. Right. Like, man. I'm with the, the Big risk. Ten. I was with the Big Ten. I was with the Pac-12 with that 100%. I'm like, man, 
these kids don't get paid. This whole thing has showed you how desperate these mm-hmm. college and universities are for this mm-hmm. money. Yeah. This Indeed. this has shown you right here what they put these kids through this season just to have a football season so they can get this money. Like, man. It's showing y'all. I was already hip to the uh, money situation because I was in that situation. That's a story for another day. You was in the situation, but, I mean, it, it showed it. It put a, a shining bright oh, light yeah. to the world. For them to see it now, they can't run and hide from it at right. all. Pandemic couldn't stop it. No, and that's what I'm saying. That I understand that whole heart condition and everything. You didn't want to endanger a kid. With it. What if somebody get hurt tackling the wrong way? They, they can still get hurt on the field. They can still die on the field. Anything is possible. Myocarditis is yeah. your heart. Anything is possible, but it's your heart, man. So does that does that lessen the blow? I mean, they could heal up from a broken, sprained ankle, you know, and still have careers. It's cats that still suffer from football injuries they have. That's true. Dude, you're talking to one of them. My shoulders will never be the same. My knees will never be the same. My back will never be the same. True enough, those are minor things to the heart condition, but, I mean, come on now. 350,000 dead, man, and you know, a lot of folks infected, man, and, and some to something you can't see, you know. So, I thought the season was a wrap. Me personally, I didn't think it was going to be any sports, you know, with this whole thing, but something like that, I feel for them too, because it could affect you for the rest of your life with the bone and the pains and the arthritis, in some cases, the CTE, but this, this is something that's different, that's kind of special. This is totally new. You don't know this, the long term effects from it. We've kind of like brushed it to the side because we we've gotten back to a society where we're trying to just live through it, just throw a mask on and keep it pushing, keep moving on. We good. So the severity of, or how serious this thing is has kind of tampered down mm. now. Hey, I was with Ohio State. I was with the Pac-12. If we're going to go out here during a pandemic and earn y'all some money, I was with the Pac-12. I'm kind of disappointed they didn't hold a place. Pay me. It's clear. Y'all need us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Y'all clearly need us. us. Pay us. Like, they backed off of it. They allowed the the pressure to get to them, and they went on ahead and got back to it. But this season shouldn't have happened, especially if you don't get paid. The the NFL players, they get paid. You going out there to get your paycheck. For me, what? So I could uh, get some free classes and some food from (laughs) y'all? The sad part, this is where I'm just different, man. I would have took that chance myself. I, I hear everything y'all saying. I'm not minimizing nothing, but if that's in your blood and you, that's all you know what to do and that's all you've been doing your whole life and just like people that's uh, on unemployment, been having the same job for 20-some years, close to retirement, they laid them off and all that, that that hurt. You know what I mean? That's, that's the mm-hmm. way of life. I see yeah, the love, <laughs> like, I no see the love in his eye. You know, he, he go out there. And I, I see your perspective because it's it's a risk either way it go. Yeah, like, I see way. what you're saying because you're taking a risk when you're suiting up. I had a situation at OU my freshman year. Not me personally, but I, I witnessed this. So, you know, uh, before we used to lift weights, we used to have tumbling class so mm-hmm. we know how to fall and everything. So we had the big, huge wrestling mat in the middle of the weight room so we had to go through the certain flips and everything and have somebody else flip you so you know how to fall on your back fall uncomfortably and still be loose and not tense up because that's when injuries tend to happen when you tense up and trying to fight the fall instead of just letting the fall happen so at a uh, offensive lineman wrestling with a db 
right after we got done with tumbling class, they tried to reenact something, and the offensive lineman Ooh. picked up the safety, slammed him, ended up breaking his neck, man. Couldn't play football no, no more the rest of his life. He cooled now because he bones mm-hmm. and came back normal and all that, but at the time, man, you scared as hell. He thought he was about to die mm-hmm. right there in that weight room, man. Any, anything can happen at any time. If the parents is not getting up in arms about it, I guess I shouldn't either. So, yeah, yeah, I feel you. I let my son decide on that. You know, I let him decide on that because I was like, whatever you want to do, because I wasn't going to push it. I feel better that he chose to sit out. Uh, you was doing some reverse psychology on him. Like, <laughs> oh, it don't matter, it don't matter. But you know, you know, <laughs> it is kind of dangerous Thanks. out there. <laughs> Put that CNN counter on. It's like the number's going up every single day. You can't see it. You know how much you love Granny. You want to go to Granny's house, right. don't you? But it's up to right. you. It's up to you. <laughs> right. It's up to your decision. You're right. Decide wisely. You got to do the daddy shake. Decide wisely. <laughs> <laughs> De Niro. And I tell y'all, I'm picking O State all the way, though. You picking O? Oh, wait a minute. I, oh, my fault. Go ahead. I didn't give you your chance to to break it down. Go ahead, B. Well, I mean, I mean, it's not much insight as you guys, but you know, probably my heart with it all. I think Ohio State gonna upset Clemson, and I think they're gonna play Alabama, and I think it's gonna be an upset. And we're going to have fun with that, Coachy. We're going to have fun. We're going to make Zen put on an old state outfit. You damn right. We're going to have mad fun with that. Yeah, we, we'll put a wager on it. If it happens, hey, we'll definitely put like a little friendly bet or something out there. Yeah, that's no problem. Yes. So if it comes to it, then I'm like the devil's advocate. Now, if it comes down to old state and Alabama, so we both know you two. So if Alabama win. Then what, Coach E? Got to put on the Crimson Tide? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. I, I'll be an even player. I got to see you rocking some 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 Crimson Tide paraphernalia for I'll real. I'll put on some drawers so I can fart in them things. <laughs> no, no, no. The folks going to need to see this. I need to be able to, to take a picture of it and hold it. Blow it up. Have it forever. We got to say virtual shake, shake, shake. Yeah, virtual shake. Yeah, yeah, virtual <laughs> shake. <laughs> well, let's go a little bit deeper into the college football playoff. Someone who has the most money riding on this game is Ohio State's quarterback, Justin Fields. He's got more money on it than any gambler or any bookie in Vegas on this one. With a quality performance against what many consider the, a top-tier school and a presumptive overall number one pick, Trevor Lawrence, Fields could cement his place as the number two overall pick in the draft. Right now, with the New York Jets locked in this spot, people are speculating whether the Jets should draft him or keep Sam Darnold. The luxury of having someone like Coach E is that he is a talent evaluator. Over the next few months of the draft hype, this will be the hottest story. So we decided to get a head start on this one. So we're going to go head-to-head, Justin Fields versus Sam Darnold, and help the Jets with their decision. Let's first take a look at Justin Fields. Coach, give us the pros and cons on Justin Fields. What up? Pros is, like I said before, he never gets too high, never gets too low, always focuses on the task at hand. And he has quite a bit of playing experience. Even though it was only two years at Ohio State, he still has some time at Georgia. So that gives him double time on two good conferences that he's actually played in. So 
get to see the NFL aspect of the SEC with the athletes on the defensive side, learn how to read defenses or whatever from different coaches in Georgia and then come to Ohio State and he'll get the overall spread picture. That's where I see the NFL going pretty soon because if you keep drafting these quarterbacks like this, there's no more drop-back quarterbacks, no more stationary quarterbacks. So we are witnessing the game change and evolution. So, And the cons is I would say he locks on to a receiver and doesn't read the whole field, but that comes from just being the spread quarterback that he is because he's taught to get the ball out fast and look at that one read if it's there and get it out real quick. And if it's not, that's why he takes off like that. That's another pro as well, his athletic ability. That'll keep him somewhat healthy, hopefully, learning how to slide and everything, staying out of danger. So the pros would be the athletic ability, the uh, mental capability of him being able to comprehend everything and put it into play. You learn it and able to translate it to the field. The cons would be not being able to read the field. Now, what about his accuracy? Uh, His accuracy, he's pretty accurate. I really haven't seen too many balls float on him, too many balls sail on him, too many balls in the ground. True enough, he has some here and there, but it's not on a consistent basis. If it was more on a consistent basis, then I would be a little bit worried. And the reason why his accuracy is the way it is is because his footwork. That goes back to the athletic ability. His footwork is real good. His shoulders, his hips are always open to the target. Shoulders are always square to the target. That always helps with accuracy. So he has pretty good accuracy, in my opinion. What about the intangibles, his leadership skills? I consider him a real good leader. Everybody follows him. He, The point that I brought up last podcast was when Baker didn't get the receiver and talk about what he wanted them to do. He'll just get upset after a miscommunication or whatever. I've literally actually seen Justin Fields tell someone, hey, sit down. This is on coverage. You got to sit in that spot. You'll be open or Go a little bit further on your route. Stem it a little bit further in your breakdown. I've actually seen him do that. That's a sign of a good leader. Okay, so walking into this Jets situation, which will be, what, 2-14 and 14 or maybe 3-13, and 13, what will he be able to, to bring to the Jets that they don't already have or with him bringing his, his skill set, I should say, to the Jets? What do you see them making a, the biggest strides in by having him on the team? Uh, the biggest strides will be opening up the playbook, getting a whole different look than what they really run. Like They run a lot of traditional sets now just because of the Sam Darnold quarterback situation. He's really he's kind of mobile, but he's not on the athletic mobile side. So with Justin Fields being on the athletic mobile side, they can open the playbook, get way more spreads, concepts in there, put more athletes on the field around him give them more options to get the ball out quicker. That'll help the offensive line as well, too. They don't have to hold protection up as long. True enough, you still want a good offensive line to hold protection when they need to, but it's not going to be consistently a long three, four-second count. It'll possibly be a two, three-second count, which will make their job a whole lot easier. I know they'll love that. Okay. Well, let's talk about the three-year vet that they already have in Sam Darnold. Uh, What's the pros and cons with keeping Sam Darnold? Uh, I think the cons would be – you already see what he's been doing, and you see what you're getting out of him. hes I don't want to say he's injury-prone, but he has been injured quite a bit just because he's been putting himself in danger and harm's way with his whole scrambling ability, so to say, trying to do too much. Like Byron brought up earlier today, him running over one of our linebackers, that's, brother, that's not smart as a quarterback mm-hmm. to even put yourself in that situation because it is a certain thing called get-back that that linebacker will be coming back for you in that situation, just you made a fool out of him. He will be trying to come get his get back. But the coaching situation really didn't help Sam Darnold to an extent because 
Adam Gase is not a good coach. Let's just call it for what it is. He's just not a good coach. So he's been in the hole ever since he got there because of that situation. So the pros would be he's a veteran and he's shown some growth, but the cons would be he hasn't shown enough growth and that he's a veteran. And you would expect somebody with that playing experience to show more growth and to take more control and to be more stable than he has been. He hasn't shown that he can do that yet. Now, we've seen some things, some flashes, I guess, for Sam Darnold. Three years in, can off the top of your head, can you recall a, a quarterback just all of a sudden after three years in taking great strides to becoming a becoming more of a, a top-tier quarterback? The thing that I'm hearing is we just put better pieces around him and we keep him and he'll make those strides. And I myself, I will say three years in, and you don't get something out of them, and you don't put the right pieces around them, that quarterback develops bad habits. It's, it's really hard to, to change those bad habits, no matter who you bring in as a coach. But what about you? What you think about that? The whole putting more talent around them, seeing if that works, just like you said, those bad habits. Once you get set in those bad habits, it's going to be pretty much your career of bad habits. It happens all the time. That first three years, you're so used to getting hit, so you, anything that's getting close to you by your feet, you want to get the ball out, that means you're making a horrible decision. That was not your read. That's not open. You just want to get the ball out to save yourself. That's not a good leader. It's not a good team player, especially at the quarterback position. You want to be able to sit there and take one for the team, if need be. Not to say put yourself in harm's way, but if you have to stare down that barrel and get a nice hit in the chops to complete a touchdown or a key first down, you have to do that, but... With bad habits and you jumpy like that, that'll never work out. If it's time to move on, you just got to cut bait, move on, and start over again sooner than later. Because if you keep trying to hold on, you as a coach or a GM, you will not be there to see anything else change. So it's, you got to make that decision fast. But I'm surprised, though. I didn't hear y'all talk about the other scenario that they talk about in New York. What, keep, keep Donald and draft that offensive lineman out of Oregon. Sue? Penny Sewell. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm hearing, like, let Darnold, you know, do what he do. Get this guy for protection. That's what I kind of mean by trading back because I don't think you would take take him at the number two pick because if people are clamoring for Justin Fields at number two, teams would be willing to, to trade up to that number two pick, and you can trade back and still be able to pick Sewell. Have you gotten a, a chance to watch any film on him? Oh, yeah. I was watching him last year. He's, he's a damn good offensive tackle. But seeing that they just got uh, – Makai Becton. Yeah, okay. That's what I'm talking about. Seeing that they just got him last year, I don't see them taking another tackle right here, especially at the number two spot in the draft this year. They already got their tackle. He's pretty damn good, too. So if you're the GM, Joe Douglas, there's so many holes that need to be filled on the team. So would you prefer trading back in the draft, getting more draft picks, so you could be able to address more of the needs that you have on your roster? I'm not a big fan of the whole trade back situation. I believe you should pick either, especially in the first five picks, you have to go with the best player on the board in order to see any kind of change in your organization. You can't just keep trading back, just get more picks, more picks. You can miss on those picks. I'd rather take the best player available and work around them and fill in the necessary holes, whether it be free agency or later on in the draft. That is not the only pick you have. You have plenty of other picks that you could fill in other holes. 
And it's proven that the guys later in the draft end up panning out anyway. So you might as well take that chance with your number one player on the board and see what that brings you. The, that trading back thing, it works, but not the way it would if you get the stud that's sitting right in front of your face. That trading back stuff. Right now, if we didn't trade back, we would have Julio Jones on our roster. Come on now. If, oh, if we ain't trade back, we could have Deshaun Watson on our roster. Like, trading back, yeah, I'm not <laughs> with that trading back no, at sir. all, at all. <laughs> Who's to say they, we could have had Roethlisberger and Brady, but who to say they would have been Roethlisberger and Brady? If you're that guy, you're going to be that guy. If you're that guy, it travels. (laughs) Sounds like you would be leaning towards keeping the pick and and drafting Justin Fields. Uh, Like I said, I will take my chance with the stud in front of my face offensively, playmaking-wise. On top of that, you got to go with that, man. So – we helping you out, Joe Douglas. If you want to reach out to us, you can contact Coach E directly if you need more advice. At 216, help a brother out. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> recruiting. We're getting you a recruiting job here. I mean, as good as Ozzie Newsom was for the Ravens. You hey, know? Uh, that's good. If I'm falling <laughs> in them shoes, I did something right. <laughs> <laughs> that's respect. Good pod, good pod, fellas. All right. All right, we've reached the point in the podcast, fellas, where we go on here to talk about real-life situations and how you can help yourself be a better self. Go ahead, bring it in, take a knee. Pay attention, give me your ears, eyes on me. Today we're going to talk about discipline, gentlemen, discipline. Discipline will take you a long way. Discipline will take you off track a long way. The thing you need to focus on, everybody thinks that discipline means you have to be military-minded, military structure, but that is not what I'm talking about. Discipline goes with the very, very small steps. You start with something being disciplined in it. Let's just say you read a book before you go to sleep every night. That reading a book before you go to sleep every night will translate to other areas in your life, which means if you see some kind of positive change in your life from doing that small little discipline step, you will find yourself applying that in another way of life. We already all are disciplined in our own unique ways. You just have to channel it to the good, to better yourself, to improve yourself. I'm pretty sure everybody already has a certain routine that they do in their life anyway. you The people out there that live for Fridays when they get a paycheck, they have a certain routine. They get paid, they go to the liquor store, they get their bottle. You take that energy for the negative and you move that to the positive side. So let's say you get your paycheck, you save some money, and you work on something that's your gift. You try and find your gift, you try and find your calling. Next thing you know, you will not be the employee anymore. You will be the CEO of your own company. You will be the CEO of your life now, not punching in for anybody else. You'll be having other people punch in for you. And it always starts with discipline. Start with the little things. The little things will end up being the grander things. I was always taught small steps, Great distances. That's the way you want to live. That's the way you want to finish. All right. Let's go. Bring it in, fellas. Win on me. Win on three. One, two, three. Win. Thank you for tuning in to Game for All Seasons with Coach E. Please remember to hit the like or subscribe button. Also, make sure to follow Coach E on Instagram at... Big F216 or on Twitter at Big F216. And be sure to check out Coach East Perfect Time Fitness Facebook page. If you're in the Cleveland area, contact us via email at e 
curry the number one at gmail.com for one-on-one -on -one or group training sessions. Our theme music provided by Mr. Taboo Timmons on SoundCloud at Mr. Taboo Timmons. Once again, thanks for listening and see you next week.